Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code COGDIS, that's C-O-G-D-I-S, to save $35 off your first week of deliveries. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. Recording live, but you wouldn't know it, yeah. from Gloriole Studios <laughs> in Chicago, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome at. This is episode 321 of cognitive dissonance. And in this episode, we are joined, we are privileged, I should say, yeah, to be absolutely, joined. Yeah. Um, truly by Keith Taylor from modestneeds.org. Um, oh, we I also gonna, have I thought you were gonna say Eli and Noah. No, I said privileged. Oh, okay. Not right. disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and we also <sighs> Smolly Sigh. <laughs> Hashtag Smolly Sigh. Have uh, Eli and Noah Heath had the good sense to beg off <laughs> for the <laughs> afternoon uh, from scathing atheist, skeptocrat, and god awful movies. Joining us to talk about our recent fundraising efforts with modestneeds.org. You are watching the beginning and the birth of the new world order. And you want to call me crazy? Go to hell. Call me crazy all you want. So this is more Jim Baker. Supporters of the Constitution are mysteriously dying. I fucking love this guy so much. Jim Baker's my favorite. <laughs> is he Heil Hitler? <laughs> he looks Heil Hitler. Like they just, they just like caught his, him at his, an inopportune moment. His chin friend's fat hand is here. <laughs> That's it. That would be a good little uh, stuffed doll, Chin Friends, where they just have like big, giant, bloated <laughs> undernecks. You want to know why the church has been shut up? Yeah. Why nobody's talking about what's going on? Like these kind of shows we do? We're being monitored. <laughs> By right wing watch, yeah. and then we make fun yeah, of you. Then, yeah, exactly. There's no monitor here. We're just making. We're. Yeah. Li- I mean, we're just laughing at yeah. you. We're laughing at your stupidity and your tie. Oh, absolutely. Hi, guys. I might as well wave to them. The Bible says I gotta love you, so I'm gonna try. But there's monitoring groups. I won't name them right now because I don't want to get in a fight with them. They do nothing but monitor all speech and all, especially religious speak, and anybody who's speaking out on the opposite side of what they believe. And they're not a lot, you shouldn't be able to pay attention to what someone else who doesn't believe what you believe says. Yeah, well, but, but I mean, this whole idea that like there's fucking banks and banks of government fucking employees, there would have to be the same number of people listening that are as there are talking. That are talking, yeah. The, the, 
like the fucking resources don't line up. It's literally an impossible task to undertake. Or what's happening is, is he's mad at Right Wing Watch. Yeah, I know, right? You know, or it's Stop that. making fun yeah, of me, guys. And uh, they are studying every word we speak and anyone who is speaking for freedom and the old-fashioned constitutional all that they want us off the air they would take you off the air if they're that fucking powerful you don't even have any air is he is he broadcast anywhere he's like on roku like that's that's not broadcasting broadcasting. like fucking like fucking david viviano was on fucking roku that's fucking the lowest possible (laughs) bar You're fucking, you're on a wire. That's not on the air. Like, you're fucking, you're just as, you have the same access to the internet we have, and we're assholes. You know, with this big building up in uh, Utah, NSA? Yeah, oh, gosh. I mean, I didn't. Are you saying the NSA cares what you say? That is what he's saying. He's saying these are secret government monitors that are watching and oh trying to shut God. him down. But his fucking fancy suit and tie are keeping him on the air. That's what he's really saying. Mm. My fancy suit. I didn't know it was being built yeah. until it was done, almost. You know, it was just... Oh, they didn't call you they, to ask they, you if they, they could build an yeah. NSA building? Anyway, you can fucking send us some of your buckets in case there's a fucking nuclear war. The NSA didn't call Jim Baker. Hey, mm. we want to build a headquarters. That's true. They didn't do that. No one did. And yeah, Really, no one did? Oh, no. I mean, it wasn't I in the news. It wasn't the last being enough. covered at all. Nobody would cover it. Why would we cover every time a fucking government building is built? Why would we cover that? Also, why would you cover when a secret agency <laughs> right? builds a building? You don't know. In other news, secrets are still secretive. <laughs> you fucking twat. And suddenly this massive building, one of the... You got a fucking satellite picture of your secrets. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I... You got a... I'm looking at a picture of your secret building. I'm yeah, supposed to be fucking satellite. worked that's up a, about that's it. A, that's a drone or something. Jesus. Yeah, that's not a satellite. You're going to get a correction. Oh, just saying. Fuck that correction, I'm you just pedantic. Saying, fucking drone or something. Probably biggest buildings ever built in the United States with all the computers, enough to record every conversation of every human being in the United States of America. That's right. You're an asshole. You're an actual asshole. You are a fucking dirty, unwashed sphincter of a person. Every conversation in those buildings, that's it? Yeah, 370 million people speaking. And there's just, evidently just fucking secret microphones in all the places. And we're going rec- like to record them all and do what with them? Yeah. And now, and you need to warn your family, your children, don't say, I mean, you can say stupid things, but don't say things with, I can't say the words because I don't want them to pop up. But key words. What, then how are you going to warn your audience? <laughs> what did you just do? Don't say things. I can't tell you the things, but don't say them. Don't say what the, the sec- fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Love this guy so Seriously, much. what the fuck? I want to warn my audience against doing something, but I can't warn them because if I do, I'm going to get caught. Oh, you think, this guy thinks that the NSA is listening to every conversation and fucking searching them for hashtags. <laughs> Hashtag terrorist. <laughs> this sounds dramatic. Oh, no, they caught it. They caught it. They, they caught it. it. Yeah. They added it from the audience. I'm curious uh, what the fuck possibly you could say that would you would say. Like, 
There's you nothing to mitigate You that. can't even just say, don't say terrorist. Right. Instead, you just say, oh, I said terrorist, even though I said, don't say it in front. <laughs> they don't pay attention to context at all. Like the government. They just hear that word. They immediately just kill you. The government who's monitoring every conversation, every conversation right, right, is listening to this. They're like, if he doesn't say the magic words, we can't assassinate <laughs> him. We can't illegally assassinate American citizens unless they say a series of magic words in the right order. <laughs> You're such an asshole. You're such a complete asshole. You know, I think I figured out how they do monitor the conversations, though. Yeah, I, I think I think he might be correct. I think that there is a way that they can monitor all conversations. I gotta know it. Well, you have to do it from the lower fourth dimension. Uh, so that's how you do it, Tom. Lizard hearing is the best hearing. <laughs> totally easy thing. But if you see spokespeople and people who are speaking up for our Constitution and for the other side, you might say, than what's popular today. Just remember, if you see them dying in car accidents, plane wrecks, and mm -hmm. all kinds of things, mm -hmm. look into it a little deeper. A lot of that's going around. What would you find? How would you, would you look find a second news story? How would you called, look into oh, it? Was the government and shot him? And, and also, how do I look into it? What do I get to? Do I get to inspect the car? I, well, that's what I'm saying. Do like I get, yeah, do I have to fucking do forensic fucking operations on this shit? I don't have access to any of that stuff. I got to believe some other asshole. <laughs> Even if I thought this stuff was true, my ability to vet the story is literally at zero. Yeah, it's exactly. literally like, let me see the body. Be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Just get what out. What are you talking about? Get out of my office. <laughs> Why you are know? you here? You show up at every morgue. Yeah. It's getting weird, it's weird. man. <laughs> so this is Tom DeLay and J.D. Hayworth. Uh, I don't trust anybody named J.D. Including Nobody? you out there, J.D. <laughs> uh, J.D. Hayworth, worry internet transition will be used to hack the election. I love people who don't understand computers at all. They're going to hack the election. Quick, somebody hack the election. Is, is the name of the program Newsmax Prime? Newsmax Prime. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that Optimus Prime's brother? <laughs> it's the only newspaper Optimus Prime a, reads. <laughs> I only read Newsmax Prime. <laughs> you're reading it. You read the. You read it. You're like, oh, I'd rather watch a video. It transforms into a tablet. <laughs> and then it goes back into the paper. Newsmax, Newsmax Prime. <laughs> Newsmax Prime is hacking the internets. Okay. Here we go. It's gonna be great. Oh, it's. So now, uh, this video is linked, so it goes to. 412 into this uh, into this uh, whatever the fuck into this, this, YouTube, into this video. YouTube video. So Well, before we get to January 20th, you've got election day in November and there are still concerns about voter fraud. His eyes are so close together. <laughs> I know we can't even put this in because you can't see the video, <laughs> but his eyes are distressingly <laughs> close together. They're like one Cyclopean eye. <laughs> they are separated by a technicality. Those eyes. What I love is is that is that in this guy you can see evolution, right? You look at this guy, and it's like it's like single cell division with his eyes, oh right? One eye just divided from the other eye, barely, barely, barely. Yeah. This is why brothers and this sisters is, shouldn't fuck. This is, 
And, and, and look at his the bottom half of his, his eyes. If you just cover, just cover his, his, his eye, he looks like George Bush. The bottom part of his face looks like George Bush's slope-faced, fucking, like, slack-jawed, completely a clueless look on his face. That's what he looks like. That guy's amazing. His eyes look so sad, too. They're fucking they downcast. They're, they're downcast. They, they downcast. feel like a little thing. He's got so the he big sad. He does. His, his whole life is this the sad. This guy is what happens yeah. to the flowers in the attic cross pollinate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they're when they're first sprayed with Roundup. <laughs> the Hill is not exactly a right leaning publication, but an article there this morning uh, saying basically if we give up control of the internet there could be real problems with our presidential election doesn't he kind of sound like if you close your eyes doesn't he kind of sound like a sort of a militant smoky the bear <laughs> <laughs> only to, you can prevent intellectual our old colleague and former house intelligence committee chairman pete hoekstra had this to say to us here at newsmax tv is that real problems with our presidential. hey kids, hey kids. <laughs> Don't light the president on fire. <laughs> Doesn't matter that he's a Muslim black man. <laughs> Winky face. Uh, Pete spoke about the risks of voter fraud and the Obama administration's decision to give up control of the Internet. What does that mean? D- Obama doesn't have a control of the what, Internet. Is that like a box that he carries around that's like, eh, don't touch my precious, it's the, the Internet. The, everybody Is everybody controlling the Internet? Calling it patently dangerous. Tom, is there anything else we can uh, use to describe it? Uh, it's patently dangerous. <laughs> Your weird, awkward phrase is perfect. Allow me to rephrase it. Not at all. <laughs> I, it, I, it just boggles my mind that we would give up the, the control of the internet of all things. Now, I, I'm pretty uh, ignorant on these kinds of things. I can barely turn on my own computer. But I know that whatever uh, uh, agreement has been made by this administration is not going to benefit the United States. And it's not going to benefit the American people. Well, how do you know? You fucking just said you don't even know how a computer works. And he doesn't, and he doesn't know anything about the agreement. Either. Or who it's with. Yeah, he doesn't well, know anything. They haven't described who the agreement is with or how the internet has been controlled previously or who's controlling it or how it would even be controlled as a fucking international resource of networked machines covering the fucking entire globe. It's so funny that they make they make it seem like, oh, there's like... It's like a, there's like a fucking room, like right. one room. Where Did you anyone just go and turn on the internet? Go, hey, man, go restart the internet. So we have got to find a way to put this off until uh, the next president is put into office. That's what they're going to do with everything. Well, that's what they put want. It off, put it off yeah. until the next right. president because they want to make sure. Can we just every, kick the can down the yeah, road? Is there any way that we can make sure that the next president? Yeah, because Hillary's going to do a better job. Uh, oh we God. cannot allow one of the most important institutions now in, in our society to be given over to some 
floating around fairy-like boards. And you know, the other thing, Tom, it's the timing. Now, you and I used to talk, and I think we can share it with those looking in. <laughs> Look at that guy. Hold on a second. Pause it. They have the exact opposite facial problem. Tom DeLay's <laughs> eyes are too far apart. <laughs> it's like... We took the mean of both of their eyes. They would have normal spaced-out eyes. They look but so they, crazy <laughs> juxtaposed next to each other. Like You can't like, look at those two guys. They look insane. Uh, you can't sneak up on Tom DeLay because his eyes are like fish eyes. They're like on the side of his face. You know? like there's, there's no All he has is peripheral vision. <laughs> you can punch him dead square in the nose. He won't even see it coming. He's like a chameleon. Yeah, exactly. like, brook, moving in opposite directions. But the other guy, the other guy, he is like, <laughs> you could... <laughs> <laughs> Just look at these two fucks. If you, <laughs> you take, you take, you know when you do the, the oh peripheral God. vision test for your license. Yes. He just he just guesses. <laughs> uh, we used to think that if you really wanted to affect the elections, uh, tax returns forget April fifteenth, have them October fifteenth. Then Americans paying their taxes would go. Gee, who's raising my taxes? And it could uh, be a political argument to make in November. But to have the international community. This guy sounds like a children's announcer, doesn't he? I actually am flabbergasted listening to this guy. He's mesmerizing just to watch him. It's it's like it's like a puppet made by somebody who doesn't know how people are supposed to look. Yeah, it's like yeah, like a, like like a sketch artist described a human to him, and then he said he has like a yeah. bad drawing come yeah. to life. He it's really a, is. He's, yeah. I'm just astonished. I can barely hear his words just to watch his thin tight. <laughs> Lips move. I think this is actually proof of David Icke's theory. Oh my God, this is we amazing. are being controlled by lizards. Oh Take over the internet in late October, just prior to the first week in November. That's how late October works. <laughs> <laughs> There's no conspiracy. Late October is always before the first early week November. Of, oh, Jesus yeah, Christ, that's how it works. Man, the timing of this is really suspect. It's, it really is, and uh, Congress has got to do something about it. I know they, their hands are pretty much tied no matter what they do. Well, then why would they do anything about it? You just said they can't do anything about it. Congress has to do something about it. Congress can't do anything about it. <laughs> you have an operable cancer. Should we operate? <laughs> your hands in your hands again. You're doing that rub your wanna, eyes thing. I don't want to do this, though. <laughs> this guy was the former majority leader. Oh, he was the House majority leader for two oh, years. Oh, fucking shark eyes here. <laughs> he can't. <laughs> this, you know what's great, too? They, they both have, like, downcast eyes <laughs> in the opposite direction. <laughs> One. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Ridiculous. God, you're right though, man. They, their eyes could not be any different. This guy's eyes are like they're trying to they're trying to escape his head. Like these ones are like trying to they're trying to see what's going on in the ears. You know, uh, the president will veto it. But uh, this is really serious stuff that we're talking about here, and we we've, we've got to head it off and head it off uh, quickly because 
They're going to hand over the internet. Oh God, I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> this is so stupid. It's not even. The, it's, <coughs> it's not true. Nothing, it's none it's of not, it's true. Not, it's true. None of it's true. Not any part there's of it. Fucking first, there's no fucking way to hand off the internet like a fucking <laughs> uh, like a relay race baton. <laughs> you <laughs> asshole. The internet's in my pocket. But then secondly, it's not even true. We read it that, that all they're doing is talking about like domain name, fucking the way in which they right. name domain names. It's the fucking most innocuous it's, it's thing ever. It's a standardization of, of global domain. Oh my God. That's all that. Are you serious? These people are fucking fear-mongering twats with fucking <laughs> so weird funny. eyes. It's so funny. And you know, there doesn't mean that there aren't groups of people in this country that, uh, you know, that I have sympathy for. I do. And there are kids that were brought into this country by their parents unknowing that they were breaking the law. And they will say to me and others who defend the rule of law, we have to do something about the 11 million. And some of them are valedictorians. Well, my answer to that is, and then, by the way, their parents brought them in. It wasn't their fault. It's true in some cases, but they aren't all valedictorians. They weren't all brought in by their parents. Uh, for everyone who's a valedictorian, there's another hundred out there that um, they weigh 130 pounds and they've got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. So this story features one of my, uh, one of our favorites, Cecil. This oh, is yeah. Representative Lily Gomert. <laughs> Which is just amazing. It's like hillbilly God's cousin. Man, he was uh, interviewed. <laughs> hillbilly rides, rides in an El Camino. <laughs> A lowered El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> with a gun rack. You know, an El Camino like, with, with a, a gun fuck, rack. An El Camino with a gun rack. God, what a fucking and hillbilly garbage person. Deer antlers on the front. <laughs> and the back. And the <laughs> he doesn't know what, he doesn't know what to do with them. Where do you put all these... They, they put those little funny things, they, those bony things that come out of their face. Where do you put, where do you put They're those? They're face bones. Face bones. I got those face bones to put on my vehicle. <laughs> fucking amazing. The guy is such a fucking goober. He's a goober gomert. This story is from September 30th. He's uh, on the Family Research Council, uh, their program. Tony Perkins interviewed him. Um, and just, you just, I don't even want to read, I don't even want to read the headline because... I feel like his own face hole needs to make these sounds. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Here's Louis Gomert from that uh, aforementioned show. Isn't it amazing, <laughs> though? Uh, judges have been found, liberal judges across the country, to say we don't need uh, identification to be required to let somebody vote because, uh, you know, it may be inconvenient, uh, so it, it may be more discriminatory. No, they no. never said that. They've never said it may be inconvenient. That's not, that's not a rule. That's not how you put rule on. Be like, oh, somebody may be inconvenienced by this. They do it because there should be no, you should not have to pay to vote. Right. And many identification cards require some sort of payment in order to do it. We don't have a show us your papers rule here in America. Like, we just don't. An, identif an official, first of all, there is no such thing as an official federal government identification. Yeah. That's not a thing. It doesn't exist. There, what about the that, passport? But it's not an, it's, that's to leave the country. If you're planning on staying in the country, you don't ever have to have a passport. That's true. Yeah. And it right? costs money. And it, it costs co money. It costs a lot of money. Right. It's, it's, it's not, first of all, it's the most inconvenient thing you can do with your time yeah. is to go get a passport. Sure. You, there's, there's nothing more yeah. inconvenient Absolutely. than going to get a passport. Yeah. Incidentally, yeah, you, including if you're getting a passport for your kids. Absolutely. Yeah. You, I, I would sooner drop my fucking keys down a sewer. Right. Yeah. Then get a fucking then, passport. Then try to get a passport. Yeah. Again. It's yeah. literally terrible. Yeah. It's literally terrible. It's so, but it, and it's expensive. It's it's fucking like a hundred and some dollars yeah, to get a expensive. passport. Yeah. It's expensive. And then it's not instant. 
So it's not like you can be like, oh, I want to vote. Oh, you have to have a thing. Oh, well, fucking, I better go get my passport. It takes weeks and weeks to get your fucking passport. Sometimes months, yeah. Right. We don't have a federal, uh, you know, identification document. That's just not a thing. The passport is generally accepted as ID, but it's not a required document. States have driver's licenses. But again, if you don't drive, you just don't need one. So why would you spend the time and the money and the and, and the energy going to get a fucking ID. Sure. And the and, same is true of a state ID. A state exactly. ID is... And just going to get those IDs takes time out of your, your day and all that stuff. It's like, look, there's never been any fucking like major voter fraud based on this. Right. And voter fraud, think about how ridiculous voter fraud is. Just pause and consider how ridiculous the idea of voter fraud in terms of swaying an election would be. Let's say you had... Uh, you know, especially with something like the presidential election where the votes are in the millions and you're going to sway that election by a handful of people that commit voter fraud, you would have to have this enormous, massive conspiracy of people who were showing up and pretending to be somebody who later they sure know is not going to show up. Yeah. Right. If somebody shows up and they're like, I'm Tom. And then later I show up and I'm like, I'm also Tom. And we both claim to be the same Tom. That's a fucking immediate problem, yeah, right? Right. So the way the conspiracy works is I have to I have to buy the vote from someone that I know is not going to later show up, sure. right? Yeah. It, it's it's too difficult to organize. It's too yeah. Somebody could I could show up and be like I'm Joe Smith and could I vote for Joe Smith? Sure, I guess I could. But we're not talking about numbers that are going to sway elections. We're talking about minute, minute, statistically insignificant numbers of people, which is why voter fraud has been debunked as meaningful to to reform. And if I'm willing to somehow sell you my vote, why wouldn't I just go and do it myself? If if I'm motivated to do that, why wouldn't I just vote for myself in that manner? Or why wouldn't I just pay you to stand in line and vote the way I asked you to pay? Exactly. Right? I'm going to give you $100 and you're going to sell me your vote and I'm going to show up and pretend to be you. Why don't I just give you the $100 and say, can you go in there and vote Democrat for me? Yeah, because you've got to come back to the same thing. It's not When I show up in the morning and I I don't know how many, because I only go to the polls once, so I don't know how long these people work. Is there shifts? I don't know how that works. But- you know, these people that I show up, if I, if I came in at, at 7.05 and then I came back at 7.20, they'd fucking know it's me. They'd yeah, be like, I know, you right? You're just here, dude. <laughs> Even it, in Chicago, they'd be like, you were just here. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't give someone else's name. Because you only have one polling yep. place. Yep. So it's not like you can go to any location. You have one polling place. Your name appears one time on the voter's registry, and they fucking mark that thing off. Why do they spend so much goddamn time on this? Why, why is it? Because it seems self-evident until you think about it. That this is such a big fucking deal to them, man. I know. So often they're like, oh, my God, fucking voter fraud. And then they're talking about like, oh, well, they should put... Uh, they should put fucking ID and and there's a, and it's exactly like you say right I when I first heard there should be ID for voting I was like yeah that's fucking that's a no brainer of course there should be ID for voting that's the first thing that went through my head sure it's like yeah and then I thought about it for a second I'm like well should there be ID for voting and I just did a quick search like just a quick search and an ACLU came up and it was like no the reason why there shouldn't be this for voting is all the reasons you said and also it's a barrier to entry for some people not only do they not have the time to go get an ID, but then they also don't have the money to go get an ID. They just don't have, you know, a expendable income of $10 even to go pay someone else to give them an ID. They just don't have it. Now it's a tax. It's a voting tax. It's a voting tax. Right. Voting tax is illegal. You shouldn't have that. 
The only reason anyone cares is because they want to disenfranchise minority votes because those votes swing in a political direction that they don't want those people showing up to the polls. They don't fucking like it. Uh, And and there's no evidence that so many Democrats, there's no evidence that anybody ever votes illegally. It's not a problem. And here is the perfect evidence. Some have called me crazy because I've been saying the Democrats and Obama, unfortunately we've got some Republicans joining with them, want to push through a sentencing reform that will allow thousands to be released from prison and uh, federal prison, we just don't have a bunch of people that have marijuana cigarettes. You can't get to federal prison for that. So, uh, and at least nobody is in federal prison for that. What the fuck is he talking what about? What is he all over the place? Jesus Christ. This guy's fucking mind is a ping pong ball. <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's just all over. Like what? I'm having a conversation with somebody on fucking like, like, like a, somebody who needs Adderall or something. I am trying so hard to follow his train of thought, but think, it's derailed off of its derailment. I think he's now starting to say that they're, they're looking to release people from federal prison. And he's saying that they don't just go there for tiny infractions. You go to federal prison for a real, there, there's a reason you go to federal sure, prison. Sure, because you've broken a federal law. Yeah, I know. Like, right? That's like, the difference. That's right? like, that, that is the difference. Like, yeah, you don't go because you broke a state law. Yeah, I fucking know that. Yeah. That's why it's federal prison, you stupid piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what does it say about your party that you want felons to vote? That mouse click, by the way, is not me. I'm that, just saying that I was wondering, click, what are you doing over there? That mouse click is not me, and that sighing, that is not David Smalley. That is the guy <laughs> who's online with him. You know what's saying. amazing is he's so fucking boring that Tony Perkins is over there yeah. fucking looking at porn. Yeah, to- Tony right? Perkins is... Yeah. Tony Perkins is clicking around like, while he's talking like, he's yeah. prisoner? Oh, what's that? Yeah. Prisoner fuck movies. I, <laughs> I, I want to say real quick, too, uh, he keeps using this word thousands. In what election other than a hyper-local election does thousands of people getting out of somewhere do anything? Now, unless you're talking about, you know, Andrew Torres thousands, is going to write us. Unless you're saying thousands of thousands, yeah. then it doesn't matter. Well, Andrew Torres would write us and say that thousands swung the Bush v. Gore That's election. That's fair. Right? That's fair. But, but we're talking about, he's talking about felons swaying an election in in. Uh, yeah. In California, which is where they're talking. I think that's where they're talking right. about. Because one of the things that I heard, too, this week is that they're allowing certain felons to vote. And I wasn't able to figure out what that, where that comes from. I think felons should vote. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think felons should be able to vote. I think this idea that once you're a felon, you serve your time and you're still just always a felon. Yeah. And you just di- – like you just uh, – you're, you're disavowed of all of your rights because, you know – one. I know this is an aside, but it makes me crazy – that you commit a crime when you're 19 years old, and it's a fucking shitty crime, and boo-hoo-hoo, you did a bad thing, and then you go to prison, and you serve your time, and you get out, and now you've got, what, 60 more years of your life that you've got to live. And you never get to vote again, and you never get to, you never get to enter society as a functional citizen. Yeah. You get to live in this weird, yep. almost citizen you're like status. A, you're like a sharecropper. Right, I mean, you know fuck I mean? Like, that shit. Weird. One of the things, too, I wonder, too, and this is something that Andrew Torres would be able to answer, or another lawyer, um, Maybe like a David Smalley would be able to answer. Uh, Do we need an armature? <laughs> Maybe an armature uh, opinion. But one of the one of the one of the things I wonder is what is what is something that we would be shocked at is a felony, right? There's I'm sure there's something out there that is a felony because I I think you can get one for driving recklessly. I think that you can get a felony for that. Um, there's some. There's some things that you can get that, like that may be yeah 
there may be something out there that you can get a felony for that we would be shocked for. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that I know a guy who uh, has a felony for drug, uh, not possession, uh, like selling drugs, whatever yeah. the fuck, intent drug distribution, yeah. intent to sell. Yeah. Thank you. And it sounds bad. Like, it sounds super bad, you know, when you look at it on paper. But if you know the story, like, the story is this fucking dude was an idiot and he went to a party and some girl's like, hey, can you get me some X? And he's like, sure can. Girls got boobs. And he went and found some X and he gave her the X and she turned out to be an undercover cop. He is not a fucking drug dealer. He's just a guy who went to go buy it from a drug dealer. He went and bought it from a drug dealer and gave it to a girl so he could get sex with the girl. Yeah. And now he's got a felony. And so now he can't, like, now he can't vote and he can't, you know, buy a gun. And it, this guy shouldn't have a gun. But still, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay, this guy's a bad example. He shouldn't have any rights, really. I'm just saying. However... I'm just saying, like, when you know the story, yeah. the idea that Absolutely. this indiscretion that Absolutely. he committed when he was in his 20s, yeah. that that's going to follow him for the next 50, 60 years of his life, it's an absurdity yeah. that he will lose basic rights. I don't see any reason why a felon who's no longer in prison should not be able to vote. Yeah. Why Why that can't they vote? Do they? I, uh, but there's a, there's, a, there's a big push against it. They don't think that they should be able to vote. It's absurd. And you want people that don't speak English to vote, and you want people that are here illegally to vote. If your platform. Nobody wants illegals to vote. Nobody wants that. What are you talking about? What would they? How could they get on the voter registration? <laughs> you have. Are you fucking that goddamn stupid that you don't understand? You have to be a fucking registered voter. What would I do? Show up and be like, I'd like to register for a vote. I'm fucking illegal. Where you fucking deported? Yeah, oh, exactly. that didn't work out. I'd like to introduce you to this ICE official right over here. This happens never, ever, never, ever. Will only get uh, voted into office. By those people, felons, people that can't speak English and hadn't been able to follow personally what's actually going on in politics uh, without getting an interpretation. Jesus Christ, he's calling people who don't speak English stupid. That's yeah. what he said. Are you unaware well, that there are other uh, other venues for which to get news yeah. other than English-speaking venues? Like... Fucking Telemundo and Univision are a motherfucking thing, bro. And they're huge, right? Man. They're huge. Also, being called stupid by fucking Louis Louis Gomert. Y'all, y'all don't be speak the English is good. <laughs> like, oh really, <laughs> really Louis Gomert? Ah, bless English. <laughs> Whose command of the English language rises at its best to a second grade level? Oh. If that second grader Oof. was recently hit with a brick. <laughs> and those who um, are illegally here show no. Uh, regard for the law. What what is well, he talking I, I, well, about? And, he's, and, he, and he is right. Those who are illegally here do show no regard for one law, no, for the, the law that keeps the, them out of here. The law yeah. called you shouldn't be here. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's they one they're disregarding. They absolutely. Do. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't I would think you 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 need to think about changing your platform. But this is where we are. This guy's voted three times, and uh, he had a tweet that says, "We can win one vote for Hillary Clinton." Uh, someone else said, oh, he was being sarcastic, but when that woman was asked if she knew the shooter, she said not at all. So, uh, you know, these are the, the Democrat drones that are out there helping uh, cover. But this guy voted three times, and he seems to be a big fan of Hillary Clinton. I got I to pause. I got to pause. This guy is the worst storyteller in he all really the history is, of the isn't world. Isn't he terrible at it? What is he trying to tell us, Tom? He is he is referring specifically to the guy that shot up the Washington Mall the other day. And and that story was blown by the folks at True the Vote. Yeah. 
True the vote? True the vote is a very, very rare. Dude, I will verb the fuck out of a noun, but true the vote? <laughs> true, Lay, we should true it. You asshole. It sounds maybe, it sounds ridiculous. It doesn't even sound funny. Maybe they're from Chicago. Like, hey, you gotta go true it. Hey, you gotta go true the vote. You can't fucking you can't go around it. You gotta go true, true the it. vote. You gotta the only go way out is true. It. That's it. The only way out is true. You got one, two tree guys <laughs> over here. God they're gonna go true the vote. Damn. So they they publish a story which turned out to be fucking false that the shooter was 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 a, a had voted and was not eligible to vote and you know but he was, voted he was multiple a, he times was a, yeah right none of it was true yeah he was eligible to vote so he's a naturalized so you're citizen they, they didn't true the vote they they, they falsed they the falsed. vote they falsed <laughs> they falsed the story I don't know it's so awkward it's but, not even fun but he has no idea what he when you're hearing him speak here he you has, can't get that from Gomer he, he doesn't know what he's talking about he is. The, he's like the guy he who is. sits around a campfire the and he's worst. trying to tell the story about the guy with the yeah. hook and he's like, and there was a hook which is a curve and the curves are metal anyway. One time a blood on a car, so I gotta go. And that's it. <laughs> and you're like, you have no idea what's happening. Well, there is growing concern over those who come into the country and we've seen the push by the Obama administration with Syrian refugees and others who are very similar to this. They, they have a green card. They're set up for the process of becoming citizens. This guy was not a citizen yet. He was a citizen. He was a naturalized was citizen, naturalized you stupid non-fact fucking finding fucker. Yeah. He was a naturalized citizen. You get to vote when you're a naturalized citizen. That's the point of becoming a citizen. He was able to register and vote because, sure. and as you pointed out, in a number of states, no identification is required to register. Now, this is, a, this is a pretty significant duty. Did he just say significant duty? He did, and we should cut that for a clip. <laughs> and uh, honor, really. I mean, it's a right. It's a privilege. It's not a privilege. It's a right. Those yeah, are different things. Totally different things. It's a privilege to fly on American Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I found out it's not a right. <laughs> to be able to vote. And it's something that I think we should safeguard, making sure that only those who are eligible, who are Americans, who have a stake in this country. And I'm not against those who come here and want to become Americans and go through the process. That's great. Yeah, like the guy that you're fucking bitching about who did that. (laughs) Like this guy. The guy that you're fucking literally using as your poster child who showed up and became a naturalized citizen. That fucking guy. Is that the guy you're not against? The guy you're expressly against? We so naturalized him, he became a gun nut. <laughs> we naturalized him. We naturalized, now he shot some fucking we people. Naturalized out. the fuck out of right? that guy. He's so <laughs> we should fucking give him a, a fucking bald eagle. Like he's so fucking American. He gets a free truck <laughs> with balls on it. <laughs> he gets a testicle uh, truck. We're talking about those who are being brought in in some cases by this administration trying to basically flood the zone in order to help a certain party. Exactly. And they know which party will be most helpful to them who have no regard for the law. That man's an illiterate. That guy, he seriously, he doesn't know whether he needs, he wants to speak like Gomer Pyle or Yoda. (laughs) He's like a weird mixture of the two. His syntax is all fucking wonkified, and he seems surprised by everything he's saying. He's one of those guys that like, as it's coming out, he's like, I'm barely following what I'm about to say. So we want to talk a little bit about our sponsor today, HelloFresh.com. Uh, remember that you can use a promo code COGDIS, that's C-O-G-D-I-S, to get $35 off your first week of deliveries. And that's how I want you to think about this. You know, I don't want to sell you something that you're not interested in. However, if we can save you a little money, all the better. 
I got my first delivery from HelloFresh this week, and uh, HelloFresh uh, is delivered directly to your door. It's this, uh, it's a box full of groceries and recipes. And so, like, I live in Chicago, which kind of sucks for shopping. It kind of really sucks for shopping, sure, actually. Yeah. Um, and I also live in a small place. I, I don't live in a large, giant house with a huge pantry and a, su- a sub-zero freezer and all the, all the things that you get in the suburbs that you can store a bunch of stuff. The best thing about HelloFresh is they deliver stuff directly to you, and then they have the small amount of ingredients that you need to make three different meals. And the meal I made was a chicken dish with a, a farro salad underneath. Turned out excellent. The flavors were good. Uh, the process of cooking it was not terribly difficult. I'm, I actually do know how to cook, but following the recipe was very easy. And the food itself was a pretty high quality food. I was impressed with the quality of the food. So I think that this is actually a really cool system. I've done these types of things before. It's sort of a grocery delivery system. They deliver the groceries to you with recipes and then you just cook them up. And I actually think it's a very good system. So if you're interested, go to hellofresh.com, promo code COGDIS and save $35 off your first week of groceries. If you were, for example, a recently divorced single dad, yeah. this sounds ideal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gordon Klingenschmidt, uh, he is revisiting the show. Demonic spirits at ABC are bringing sodomy upon America. They're bringing sodomy, Cecil. They they, like, they what kind of gift something. is that? They better bring something because we've been married a long time. <laughs> and it's just uninteresting. At, at this some point. point, you're just like, uh, uh, that's a weird hostess gift. You know, you show up and you're like, thanks so much for hosting. How do you wrap it? I brought you some in lube. <laughs> in lube and hope. They just, they, you just deliver <laughs> you just, them the Crisco and right? they have to cut it you're out just, of there. Yeah. You just like, you just sort of point uh, it like, hey, got, uh, uh, you know. I got a little... Uh, How about we start with a back rub and see where things go? <laughs> All right, so here's Gordon Klingon Schmidt. ABC Television is now promoting a new TV series. It's about a pastor who comes out of the closet as a homosexual minister of a megachurch. Again, another person claiming to follow Jesus who devolves into sodomy. That's never happened. Yeah, that's happened several times. Well, actually... Happened. Yeah, it, 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 it actually it has never happened. They don't come out of the closet. They get busted with hookers in a bathroom at an airport. Yeah, or they get busted uh, fucking somebody, you know, a trans person or something. Right. They get busted fucking someone, and then they get reformed. That's it. Yeah, That's right. what happens. Right. right, and then they get reaccepted back. They get, like, reabsorbed yeah. into the fucking fold. They get told, can you just make it a little more secret? Right, can when you fucking, if you're going to do that, yeah. fucking down low, bro, down low. You know, it's only happened because... And it's only happened the way that we described it because of the, you know, the, the constraints that religion puts on people. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, it's never, nobody ever is like, oh, I'm going to deny this essential part of myself. I heard Brian Fisher on um, Dogma Debate. Did you hear the Dogma Debate with Brian I haven't Fisher? yet, no. Mm. So Brian Fisher came on Dogma Debate and he and uh, David had a conversation. At one point, uh, David asked him, when did you become straight? Like, when were you straight? And he's like, everybody's born straight. Because that's their answer, right? Uh, that's that's the answer to that question is everybody's born straight. And you've got to you're the one who's now put on your back foot to try to prove to them that everyone isn't born straight, right? Uh, yeah. And it's a tough it's a tough position. It was right. a tough position for David to be in, right? Yeah. David actually abandoned that line real quick. He abandoned that line of questioning. Because huh? he was like, he's like, I'm never gonna convince this guy right. that that's how this works. Right, because because he'll just go he'll fall back on the Bible to prove that it's true. Yeah. Right. Like, well, how do you know that? Well, Bible says blah 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 blah. 
And then you're yeah. like, fuck, all right, well, I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't, I'm never going to move yeah. you off the Bible. Yeah, I mean, his, 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 his position was, as from a rhetorical standpoint, was a great position. Right? Yeah, right. It's nonsense. Um, it's nonsense. Right, when but you rhetorically. When you look at the way the facts play themselves out, yeah, right. but when it comes right down to it, it's a, it's a good position for him to stand rhetorically. And this is the same thing, right? This is them saying, look, you know, this sort of thing is an abomination. Everybody's born straight. And for them to be... To be, if you look at it through that lens, right? Look at this particular story through that lens. If you were, you know, somehow lobotomized and thought that this was a bad thing, yeah, all right. But I can't, I can't excise my gender from that and my biology from that, right? So let's say I thought that. Like, I, I'm actually curious to walk down this road a little bit, like, like intellectually, like. But let's be, let's be, let's be really blunt. Like, you can't get hard around things that don't make you hard. You just can't do it. As a yeah. guy, yeah. you can't do it. I cannot decide. I really don't think this is true. Yeah. I can't decide <clears throat> that I want to fuck a dude. Yeah. I'm either attracted to a dude or I'm not attracted to a dude. My body, I don't just I don't just like wake up and be like, be hard, and then the cock gets hard, yeah. right? That's not how this interplay between yeah, body and mind works. Anymore. Well, right. <laughs> then, no, then it's just like, please stop being hard all the time. <laughs> the interplay between mind and body. Um, is more complex than that, right? So but I, I can't, I don't think, I really truly am, like I'm not fucking around. Like I don't think that I could get hard with a guy because that's not a gender, that's not a body type, that's not a physicality that that does it, it doesn't, for me. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the, you know, the line of questioning that you'd walk down in, in opposition to that is like, okay, well, walk me through how somebody who is born straight and is straight and is attracted to the opposite gender, yeah. how is it that their body responds when the body response is autonomic, like the body response and like what we're attracted I think, to. I think he would say that they've trained themselves and they've lied to themselves. And he also believes he's a guy who believes in demons. So oh he would God. probably say oh something like, well, demons, uh, they're demon possessed and demons, demons. Oh, my God. Work their way through the, no. through the junkular region. God, I can't. <laughs> no, I mean, I. I think that you're right, but yeah. I can't. I, th- I, th- but I think that's Jeez. what he would say, and I think Klingenschmidt would say the same thing. Klingenschmidt would say that this, there's an evil in the world, a and fucking, the evil makes my yeah, dick hard. There's a World of Warcraft type evil <laughs> in the world that I have to fight against, and fighting against it requires, you know, your faith. And if you don't have your faith, and you're susceptible, even though. There's plenty of faithful gay people out there. Yeah, I, God, I mean, I feel like that's probably accurate, but oh my God, the demons make my dick hard for dudes. That's their answer. I think it might be. It may be. I, I, they, like I said, David gave up on that line of questioning because it's you're just fighting against. I know, rock, but like you know I, I hear mean? what you're so, saying, and it's just yeah. like because the, there is a biology there that's really hard to counter, right? Like. Yeah. There are things that turn you on, right? Yeah. And then there are things that don't turn you yeah. on. Well, it's and not just that. A, it's there's things that can, like, <coughs> that turn, you, turn on, you on, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like, but even if it doesn't actively turn you on. Yeah. If it just lives in the middle ground, it's like it's like seeing like a bowl of mac and cheese. It's like I'm never like, you're going to fuck that? Yeah. Like I'm not thinking that cuz it's not sexual to me. Yeah. And therefore, ABC News is defaming and attacking the true church, which is which one? Yeah, which, which is which, which true one? church? The the more much you church yeah, like is which church? I don't know which church. I, I know. I, and the thing is, is there are churches out there that have gay pastors. pastors. Yeah. Well, they're not the true church. Yeah. He gets the. It's a no true Scotsman. Yeah. That's what this is. By mocking the Bible and even mocking pastors who denounce homosexuality. Would they? So what? Yeah. Okay. So it's open game. You can de- you get to denounce homosexuals all the time. Why can't they denounce people that? 
don't like homosexuals. Why isn't this a two-way street? Because it makes him feel sad, Seriously, Cecil. Like, fucking, why isn't this a two-way street? Because he's under attack. Yeah. As a guy who attacks people, yeah. he is now under attack for attacking people. Uh, I, I just... I, it, that's, it, that's the truth. But on the, on the face of this, he's, espou- he's espousing a viewpoint right now that says, I'm allowed to defame other human beings if they do a thing that I don't like. Right. And he has every right to do it. He has a he has a little internet show. He goes out every week and he talks about how he hates gays and gays are bad and blah, 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 and this and that. He's allowed to do that every week. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else comes out and says, oh, well, you know, and, and they're not even explicitly saying that a priest who attacks gay people is a bad person. They're not even explicitly saying it's kind of wrapped up. He's sort of inferring it from just the tagline of the show. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not, that, that that's an abhorrent thing. That that's an, an attack. That's an attack. Well, it is an attack, but who cares? Yeah. Well, no, I know. I know. Yeah. Right. I, I'm right there with you. It is fuck, an attack. Let's fucking roll big guy. But this is not a two way street yeah. because on the one side, he has the truth. According to him, you, I mean, that's true. like how yeah, he, no, you're right. on the one side, he's got the truth. And on the other side, he's got the fucking big sads whenever anybody is mean to him. Yeah. Right. So I get to stand over here with the truth and I get to bully everybody with it and club everybody over the head with the truth. And if you don't like it and you fucking fire a shot back at me, then it's religious persecution. Yeah. Why did God s- destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they're fictional towns that never existed, so <laughs> probably didn't happen. Probably did it because the writer was bored. I know, right? Some actions. He needed an action sequence right there. <laughs> it's like, a, think of Sodom and Gomorrah like a car chase scene in the Bourne identity. You know what <laughs> I mean? Where happens. you're just like, you know, we're kind of bored. He was looking through some files. It kind of got a little lame, and then we just needed yep. a moment. It's the two towers. It doesn't advance the plot, but sometimes you want to see an orb and a fucking yeah. dwarf fight each Sometimes other. Sometimes you want to see pillars of salt. Right. <laughs> because of the sin of homosexuality. Because they lusted men for men. Well, did the women not lust for I women? The, yeah, I thought the women actually, didn't the women lust and then the men wanted to rape an angel or something? And then do angels even have parts? They just have a bump down there? Well, they're all like Ken dolls There's down a lot there. Of they're questions just... I have, Kling and Schmidt. I have a lot of questions about all the sexuality back then. Also, when we went to the Ark thing, do you remember the Ark thing when they were talking about like the pre-flood? That the what they showed when people died with the reason why were they were Ted Nugenting all the fucking yeah they, uh, they the, were they the were dinosaurs yeah. to cut off their horns for no right. reason, just leaving they were just, the flesh to rot. They were corpsing up the dinosaurs. And then yeah. they had big parties with scantily clad women. Like that was yeah. the other thing. They, yeah, because they had the diorama. Yeah. Like that, we waited in line extra long to see literally a fucking third graders diorama. Yeah. Of people having fun. Yeah. And that's, it's like, see, we had to kill the entire population of the earth. They're dancing. Yeah. yeah they, and you're like, yeah. well, I would fucking, first of all, I'd go there. <laughs> like, take me to there now. I would cut Footloose. Right. <laughs> Rather than for women. And this was such a heinous act. They were so aggressive about it that the Bible says they were an abomination to the Lord your God. So if you're a pastor of a mega church and you don't believe the Bible, Beware, you're bringing sodomy and maybe the consequences thereof upon America. You can't bring sodomy upon America. I'm like, who's going to bring, who, again, who is going to bring sodomy? What is, like, a mega church? It's going to be like, yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm from the local mega church. I brought you some sodomy. Oh, yeah. We I baked it into a pie. <laughs> put it in my ass, I guess. Like, I don't, what? How would that even work? 
They're going to bring sodomy. Sodomy is something that you either fucking bring or you don't bring. That's not something you import. It's hard to it's hard to form like a dinner party and like ask a guest to bring sodomy. I don't know, right? So you're gonna bring the dessert. <laughs> I got the salad. You're gonna bring the salad. Oh, actually, bring the- <laughs> actually, instead of bringing the salad, could you just toss mine instead? Is that a? <laughs> So we are joined uh, right now by uh, Keith Taylor from Modest Needs, as well as uh, the Scathing Atheist crew, uh, Eli and Noah. Uh, Keith, thank you for joining us. Uh, you are uh, you are part of Modest Needs. Uh, when did you start Modest Needs? It's all the way back in uh, 2002, uh, so a long time ago. And so what, what drove you to t- – tell me a little bit about this. So Modest Needs, obviously, for, for our listeners, Modest Needs is the organization that we just wrapped our charity fundraising drive for um, – you started this in 2002. What drove you to start this charity and really and format it the way that you did? Because Modest Needs is really uniquely formatted amongst other charities. Oh, thanks. Well, I'll tell you, the, the way that it started is, is really funny. You know, back in another life, uh, I was a professor. And I taught uh, medieval British literature. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, when I got my first job, in my first tenure track job in 99, uh, one of the things I learned is that uh, – you know, when you're a new professor, they give you the courses that the senior faculty don't want to teach anymore. And the one I drew was research and bibliography. And oh, my the, God. Yeah, isn't that great? The, the person who numbered the courses all those years ago had like this sense of humor. And the course number was English 666. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my first big graduate school gig is I'm teaching English 666. And it was every bit as popular as you, you think it would be. Uh, but I determined I was going to, you know, do my best with it. And it turned out that we just had a, a great course. And to get to the answer to your question, you, I'm sure you guys all remember, you've been in a class somewhere where you just had a really great class that day, right? You mm-hmm. left, you were inspired. The teacher was inspiring. Everybody yeah, had a great for time. For sure. I was driving no, home from a It's class. never happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was driving home from a class like that. And I was thinking about how lucky I was to have that job. Uh, because, you know, in academics, it's, it's really hard to get a job. Sure. And uh, I thought about all of the times in, in graduate school where I just was on the on the very edge of, of poverty. And one time in particular where uh, my car had broken down. And I, I did what so many of the people at Modest Needs uh, unfortunately do before they find us. You know, I borrowed from myself. I didn't know anybody who could help fix the car. It was like a $500 repair. And I used my rent money to fix the car. Uh, sure. And... Uh, to make a long story short, a, a friend of mine found out about what was going on and paid my rent uh, and wouldn't let me pay him back, uh, never discussed it with me. It was just a, a really wonderful thing. And I thought about that person uh, and, and you know, really where my life could have gone if, if he hadn't stepped in and said to myself, well, you know what? When I'm really rich, because I think that's how most people think about philanthropy, right? It's, it's what you do when you have extra money. Uh, and it's like when I'm really rich. I think I'd like to start a charity like that because there's not one and, and you know, people could really uh, use that kind of help, you know, these, these with these short-term emergencies. And what occurred to me uh, is that the word philanthropy, you know, in, in Greek, it just means compassion for people. There's no money in that word. And I, I, it occurred to me that every person who had ever helped me in my life had never had money. They had, they just loved me. They cared about me. And I thought, you know, 
that's what I've missed all this time. It's not about how much money you have. It's about taking what you've got and doing something with it right now. Uh, and so I made a determination that I was going to try to help one person a month with uh, a small emergency like that. So I just downsized my life uh, and got to the point where I had about $350 a month that I could use uh, to maybe help with a small emergency. And so now I'm faced uh, with the uh, with the problem of finding people to help because yeah. you know, your, your friends are not going to come and ask you for help, right? Uh, it's, that's a tough thing. So uh, I decided I would just put up an anonymous website that explained what I wanted to do and I called it Modest Needs. And, uh, you know, my plan was that it would sit on the back page of Google, you know, the millionth search page of Google, uh, and that somebody maybe once a month would be so desperate for help that they would find this and uh, write to me and ask for help. And the plan was always very simple. I would, uh, you know, I would read whatever they, uh, you know, whatever they sent. If it seemed like a good idea, I would ask them for the bill and I would pay the bill on their behalf, uh, just like that person had done for me. Uh, and what actually ended up happening is that some, some friends of mine found this and put it on Metafilter. And the next thing you know, it was a, nas- a national organization. Uh, it was really shocking. I mean, within, within a month, uh, we had you know, p- people just coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, of course, some, some people requested help. But uh, gosh, on the first day that, that people really knew about this, about 80% of the letters uh, that I got, and, and there were a lot of letters, and it said something like, "This is something we've needed for a long time. Where can I send you a, a donation?" Oh wow! And and you know, we we've got one guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a shout out. His name is Roy. So Roy, if you're if you're ever listening to this, I hope Roy knows who he is. Roy, Roy doesn't make good life choices. Come on now. <laughs> Roy seems like a good person. Good people don't listen to this show. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's roast Roy. Yeah, that's right, Roy. Uh, no, seriously, this this I think I I think he's from the Northwest somewhere. Uh, I believe that's right. He ple- said in 2002, he said, I'm pledging $20 a week. And he has given $20 a week since 2002. Oh, that's awesome. And it's just like never missed. And that's what really makes Modest Needs so fantastic. I mean, we, we do have some people that will come in and give, you know, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 from time, from time to time, right? But mostly it's people giving $25, 50 $100 just you know something that they they can do and working together to to change these people's lives and that's really what it does it changes lives when we can make these grants is, so are you still a professor or is oh, modest no. needs now your this long ago became a full-time job in fact i had to quit my job as a professor so you became rich as a professor and then did this huh <laughs> i did <laughs> that's amazing. That's exactly some of that right. mad professor money that's the first professor i've ever heard of <laughs> well that's so. that's because you don't know a lot of medieval british literature <laughs> that's right professors. Yeah. listen you know what when you can when you can translate words from anglo-saxon into english that is worth something my friend <laughs> now, did you ever have an uppity student who like didn't believe in modernism or something like that? And you challenged him to a debate, and then you lost, and that's why you really started modest means. Like, I'm trying to get to the truth here. Yeah, that's that's exactly not what happened. <laughs> no, actually, actually, what happened is I, I really the whole modest needs thing is has been a remarkable, uh, just just a remarkable journey so far in my life. And what actually happened is that I was about a year from almost guaranteed tenure when Modest Needs started. And, and really, really, I meant it to be something I was just going to do on the side. And, you know, uh, no kidding, uh, this went, you know, this, this piece on Metafilter was on uh, uh, the 1st of April of all days, uh, 2002. And by the 23rd, you know, like the, my first day that I ever did any media, it was the 23rd of April. It was uh, the Today Show followed by CNN. So it was kind of a, a 
weird introduction into what the media does for your organization. And, uh, you know, from that point, it just it was an explosion. But I had to quit my job about a year from solid guaranteed tenure. Uh, because if I didn't, I mean, modest needs wasn't gonna, it couldn't exist. It was just too, it was growing too quickly. So I had to choose where I thought I could do the most good for the longest period of time. And I picked modest needs. Yeah, I'm actually at a, I'm at a genuine yeah, loss for too. words and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm at a genuine loss for words. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause and I, I think I'm just going to move the conversation a little bit because that's just yeah, so you, inspiring. <laughs> that's, that's just awesome. <laughs> um, well, I just, I just, it's incredibly inspiring. Oh, um, well, I have a I have a question between um, the Today Show, CNN, and Vulgarity for Charity on Scathing Atheist and Cogdis. Who, who who would you say had the most effect on your organization? <laughs> if you really want to know the truth, it was it would be you guys. <laughs> no, no way! Oh, take that, Katie Couric. <laughs> <laughs> I said we need a recipe guy. See, we could do cooking with you ramen with him. Guys, I, I don't want to take all the credit, but I think it's because of some of the very kind words that I specifically wrote. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. You know, well, we, sure got a, we sure got a lot of great applications from CNN and the Today Show, but not so many contributions. Uh, you guys, I mean, really, $25,000 in two weeks from people who – we're brand new to the organization who, who really wanted to reach out and get involved. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. See, we, you know, we've, we've, we've been so fortunate. We've reached out. Um, we've done a number of charity um, events. I know the Scathing Atheists, you guys have done charity events as well. Every time we reach out to our listeners, our listeners respond. Um, mm-hmm. and, they, and they respond, and they always exceed our expectations. And yeah. we, were, I, we were so excited to, to decide to, to do this thing with modest needs. I think it's something that – you know, we were all we all agreed we needed to do something that we were genuinely passionate about, and we kicked around a lot of charities before we, um, you know, settled on modest needs. And and to to hear what kind of an impact it has, um, you know, I think that'll help drive listeners again and again, and hopefully push listeners into becoming sustaining members of you know or sustaining donors for your organization. Well, oh, that that would be great. You know, the the biggest thing that we have going for us is that our donors are. Uh, incredibly loyal, uh, like like the guy Roy I was telling you about. I mean, really, that's typical. We have people who've been giving to us uh, every month. You know, not, maybe not a huge amount every month, but it adds up over time, right? Sure. Uh, Thirty, twenty dollars. I mean, fifty bucks, a hundred bucks. When you put together, say, a thousand people who are doing that, that's a good solid chunk of money you can use every month to to help people. Uh, and it, it's it's really remarkable. So I do hope your listeners will get involved in. But no, no, really, it was it, it was remarkable, and and we were as we would watch the you know day to day as the contributions would come in. I mean, we it was it was like uh, I don't know. We had a party every day uh, because we <laughs> we actually really do love it when we can fund these applications, and uh, and we we funded some great stuff, and and your your listeners chose some great stuff to help us fund. So I'd, I'd like to hear you know I know I know I don't know if you have a favorite or if you've got a story or two that sticks out in your mind about somebody that. You know, a family or, or a, a somebody who came to you guys, you know, and needed some help, a story or two that, that you might be able to share? Well, I'll, I'll give you uh, – you want to hear two really great ones? Absolutely. Okay. So this I'll – t- I'll tell you one that's uh, sort of on the funnier side and, and, I'll, and then I'll tell you my, my all-time favorite. Uh, this one that's on the funnier side, we got an application from a woman uh, who was living in, uh, I guess, a mobile home, right? And uh, she, she asked for help, 700 and some odd dollars. Because the floor in her bath bathroom had rotted, evidently. Oh and my. one day she went to get in the bathtub, and the bathtub <laughs> fell through the mobile home, <laughs> and she, you know, fell fell onto the ground, and so she couldn't, she couldn't take a, you know, she couldn't bathe. 
And uh, we, you know, one of the things that we do at Modest Needs, and a lot of people don't realize that we do this, but one of the things that really separates us from organizations like GoFundMe and, and whatnot is that we actually verify all of this. So we get, you know, people's income statements and uh, copies of the bills that they're asking for help to pay. And so we know that what they're telling us is, is accurate before we put anything online. <laughs> and uh, we got this person's income statement. And it turned out that her monthly income was around $900 a month. That's what she oh was my making. God. So oh this, wow! So this $750 that she needed, I mean, we're, we're talking about, I mean, just, just pick it, think of your monthly income, pick an expense that would take up all of that. That's what she was asking yeah. for help with. Right? Yeah. And so, uh, so we did it. I mean, we, we were able to uh, fix the floor. Our, our donors came together and, you know, it was that piece of cake, right? So all of a sudden we start getting mail from this person. Uh, every month she sat down and wrote out a $1 check and sent oh. us a $1 check every month for about six years. Okay. Oh. Now, you know, it's 20, what, 26 cents now to mail a, a letter? I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she, she's spending, you know, it's, it's a quarter of, of what she's sending us to, to mail it to us, but it's just the point, you know. Yeah. We're talking about a person who – uh, you know, has $900 a month and she's sitting down and writing out a $1 check. I mean, that's a dollar she could have obviously used. Uh, and that, that, that kind of help, uh, even though it doesn't sound like a lot, it's that kind of help that, that really means a lot. And I think drives other people to want to do this kind of work. Uh, you know, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I mean, that, that story flies in the face of the narrative that we're bombarded with about you know americans that just want a hand up you know a handout mm -hmm. they just want gimme 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 somebody just give me something people there is no social safety net we have not developed a quality social safety net in this country and we have this anti-poverty narrative and you have a story like this where somebody doesn't have anything they have nothing and they're writing a $1 check because that's all they can spare. And they probably have to sacrifice something for that dollar. Absolutely right. And uh, yeah. what they're saying is, thank you, and I'm still going to pay this forward. I will find a way to pay this yeah, forward. Some way. Yeah. Right. And that is so in contrast with the narrative that we're constantly yep. told about how, you know, yeah. demand. Well, yeah, it's just it's just incredible. And to add to that, you know, Cecil's own story, and Cecil, you've told this story on the show, and you were talking a little about it before the record, but it's like, when people get the help the way your dad did, it inspires them when they're in a position to give, to give. You know, I, yeah. I don't think that this would be as powerful and as meaningful for you personally if you hadn't had that experience, right, right. and if you weren't able to turn around and feel, and you said it during the, during the roast, but like, you know, if it feels really good as a person who was once in need to turn around and help others who are currently in need. And that's, and I'll tell you something that I've personally learned uh, in the course of doing all of this, you know, when I started with, you know, my own commitment, I mean, I really didn't know, but one of the reasons I did put this online, you're going to laugh when I tell you this is I wanted some accountability. I made, you know, a commitment to myself that I was going to do this, but I wanted to put myself out there so I would be publicly shamed if I didn't, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, indeed, the more that I've been able to give, it's like the more it, it, it somehow you're always able to give a little more than you thought you would ever be able to. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and it, it just, I don't understand it, but it, it really, it's an, it's an amazing thing. Well, and I think that's what I like so much about modest needs and the way that you've set it up is because like you say, a lot of people think of philanthropy as something that you can do when you're wealthy or at the end of your life or when you don't need the money anymore. Uh, but as, you know, as our show, as our business model and, and cognitive dissonances proves it's, you know, th that, 
that $1 an episode, that $1 a month, that really does make a difference. And it's, you know, it creates something that is sustainable and it allows everyone to get in on being a philanthropist, which let's face it, it, there's nothing in the world that makes you feel better. Absolutely right. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, you know, really, when you remember what philanthropy is, I mean, we all, I, in my experience with Modest Needs, there really aren't a lot of people who are just downright awful, nasty people. I mean, most people are really genuinely good. Uh, they try their hardest. They, they work hard. They have a problem that comes up or, you know, the, and to see those same people once you've helped them uh, and sometimes even before you help them. Turn around and, and give five or ten or, or twenty dollars to somebody else who, who really needs the help. It's very it's inspiring. I mean, it's the reason that you keep doing this every day. Uh, I you know overall, I think I think over time, about six was it sixty eight some odd percent of our applicants, the ones that we've been able to help, have, have given back. Uh, wow. And that's, that's just a, that's just a huge that's number. That's amazing. That's incredible. I have a question, uh, and this is before. I know you still have your favorite story that you want to sure, tell. Sure. We, we want you to get to that, but I, I do have a question before you do that. You said that you vet these people. Absolutely. How does that work? And do you have to pay the people to vet them? Are they volunteers? How does that work? Oh well, we well okay. So let me tell you how it works. First of all, when when we when somebody goes through our application process, we actually had to build a system that would sort of intelligently know uh, or be able to make a good guess at what documentation we would need to ask for to verify what a person had told us. Uh, so at the end of the application process, we give each applicant a list of documents that they need to send to us so that we can uh, verify what they've told us. And this ranges from uh, we get everybody's photo ID, we get a proof of, you know, proof of residency, wherever they are, proof of their housing cost, because that's part of how we calculate uh, what grant they're eligible to receive. Uh, proof of their income, and, and of course, uh, a copy of the, the bill that they're asking for our help to pay. And if there's anything else that we really need, we, we ask for that. And then they can upload it to us through a secure, uh, a secure link that we provide. And so it attaches permanently to their application, and then we're able to go through and actually read the, uh, the documentation. And that's one of the nice things about the way Modest Needs is set up. I can go back in time and find the documents that go with just about uh, every application that we have on the website through a secure link. Uh, as far as the people who, who do all this vetting, yeah, we have, uh, we have employees, uh, including myself, uh, three people run this organization for the country. <laughs> and so oh my uh, we, we vet a lot of applications every day, but yeah, we, we do pay them. Uh, and one of the reasons that we do that is because we have to maintain confidentiality laws and, yeah, and sure. you have to do that with, you do that with employees. Uh, when you have volunteers, you really can't hold them to that same standard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have, we do, we get a lot of information about our our folks, and and that's only because we want to make sure that when we make this grant, uh, it's probably going to do some some real good. Uh, and so you know that way, when we, when we pay the bill in the end, I mean, you know, we always we pay the bill on behalf of the person. We don't ever send our applicants actual cash. If they ask for help with the rent, you know, we pay the rent for them. If they ask for help with a car repair, we pay the shop. It's like that. Uh, because we do the vetting, a combination of the vetting and paying the grants that way, the very worst thing that can happen is, you know, somebody who maybe didn't need the help to fix their electricity bill so much gets it paid. But, you know, the money doesn't disappear out into, into nowhere and go buy big screen TVs or whatever. Uh, we know what, what our funding did. Now, I'm really proud of the system we've set up. I, th I think it's second to none uh, when it comes to vetting. You know, we, we were out there doing crowdfunding before crowdfunding was even a thing. You know, there was no yeah. Kickstarter or GoFundMe or any of this other stuff before Modest Needs. 
And one of the things I really wish would change about some of those, not so much Kickstarter, Kickstarter's you know, a fabulous system, but some of these other ones like GoFundMe, I mean, you can just say whatever you want and people give money to it. And that's yeah. a, a great thing, but you never really know what that money achieved. And, and when you're talking about the, the dollar values that go on, on that side, I mean, you sometimes, you know, three, three, four hundred thousand dollars have gone out to individual people. Uh, Really, there needs to be more vetting. I think that's an important part of giving is that you want to know you did a good job. We're looking at you, Fierstein. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have, I have a question, uh, and maybe you answered this already, but for those listeners who gave directly to Modest Needs, how do you, as opposed to those who picked a cause that they wanted to donate to directly, how do you allocate that money? What's the process for that? those funds? Really, it's just done internally based on what we know about the applications and which application is going to expire uh, when. We, we try to use those funds that come in, you know, generally both A, to, you know, of course, to operate the organization, and B, to, uh, you know, to finish out applications that maybe aren't going to be finished in, in the amount of time necessary to get it funded. Uh, basically, we top, we top off applications with it. So we, have, we go through the application list. We know, uh, you know, who really, who really needs the help right away. Uh, maybe they need an extra two, three hundred dollars. They've got two or three days to go. It's unlikely that application is going to raise that. We'll go ahead and fund it with the general fund, is what we call it. We'll just give it. We'll just use the general fund, and it's done. So that's really how we do it. We use the the money that people give to the organization itself to really to handle emergencies, to finish applications that are just uh, not going to get done in time if we don't step in. How many applications do you fund a year? Do you think? <laughs> uh, in a in a really good year. 1,500 to 2,000 applications in a really good year. Um, wow. it's, it's a lot. You know, when you consider the number of people processing these, the small number of people processing these, and uh, the fact that we're not a gigantic organization, a couple thousand applications a year is really good, better than I thought That's we would amazing. do in our lifetime. You know, so... Uh, Especially when you have three people doing them. Right. Three people <laughs> who, who are all kind of knuckleheads. You know, we're all not, not really, we just all, all go crazy. You know, some of the, some of the things that we get... But uh, yeah, it's 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 a challenge. It really is a challenge. But uh, I have a great team. I have a fabulous team. So I'd love to hear that story. I want to know that your your, my, your favorite my, success story. My favorite all time story uh, is <laughs> this. This was right after Modest Needs had launched. This was this was when I knew that Modest Needs actually had the ability to to change some lives uh, beyond what I ever would have imagined. Uh, okay, so. In June, I think it was, June or July of 2002, we got an application from a woman who lived in Kentucky, and she was, she was married. She was a teacher, I think. Uh, she was married. She had five kids, and her, you know, and, and her, her husband and, and she together were making you know, $34,000 or $35,000 a year. But this is very typical of our applicants. You know, $35,000 a year is not nothing, but for a family of seven, that's not much money, right? Oh, my God, no. And, oh, my and, God, no. And so – so her oldest child was about to start kindergarten. So it shows you how close together these kids were. Uh, her oldest child was about to start kindergarten or, or first grade, one of the two. And he had an eye disorder called Irland's syndrome, which I had never heard of before. But it's when the cornea is, has dimples all through it. So basically, you know how when you get glasses, really you're just sort of fixing your cornea, right? This has got a curvature. Uh, people with Irland syndrome can have glasses made, but they have to be made to each you know, individual dimple in the eye, and it's really expensive to, to fix. Uh, and so she had asked uh, for help to buy her son some glasses. Now, here's the thing. Uh, she asked for $50 which was 10% of the cost of the glasses. And she wrote in the application, she said, 
Uh, I'm only asking for $50 because I know there are a lot of people in worse need than we are. But if you can help us with the $50, I can get another job and pay off the oh my gosh. Uh, the optician. Uh, so, you know, if you could just give us the down payment, that way he'll have the glasses when he goes to school. And I read that and I thought to myself, you know, how, how remarkable is this person? Uh, and so we, we actually were doing okay that month. We had had, you know, as I told you, we had some media and, and people had given some money. And so I wrote back to her. And this is when I, it was all me. I was doing all this myself. And so I just I had very close contact with all of our applicants. And I wrote back to her and I said, you know, how about this? How about we do this? We'll buy the lenses and you buy the frames. Uh, and I thought that was – the reason I, I wanted her to buy the frames, I want her to have some a piece of this. Do, you know what I mean? She yeah. Yeah. ownership, right? And so so she said that's a great idea and so we did that. We bought the, the lenses. Uh, she bought the frames and I, I later saw the glasses like a long time later. And it's – and you know, it's these really expensive glasses in, the, in like the craziest frames you ever saw. It's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> so now, now here's why this is my favorite story. I mean so you know, we funded the application and it was a really nice story and that, that should be it, right? Well, here's what actually happens. A couple weeks later, I get a phone call from CBS and they want to do a piece on modest needs because it's a brand new thing. And, and I told them I would do it on the condition that this, this time they would make the piece about one of our applicants. Because in the, in the past, any articles that we had done or whatever had really been about me and starting modest needs. And I didn't want that. I wanted it to be about the people that we were helping. And so they agreed to do that. And asked me to send them three or four of my, what I thought were our most compelling applicants. And I included this woman in the, the group that I sent to them. And she was ultimately selected and was filmed as part of the story. So when the story finally aired in October of that year, I see this person for the first time. And she tells the story. She says, and so uh, we put the glasses on him. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, is that you? And it was the first time he had ever actually seen what his mother looked like uh, oh. with his glasses. Right. And uh, he would then went home and he had a, he had a tutor that he worked with and drew uh, a picture of a family. And the first time he had ever drawn anything coherent ever. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, that child went on to go to college. Uh, and that was that was a great investment. That's five hundred dollars. Oh, my God. Really well wow. spent, you know, mm. uh, but it, that was I think that's my favorite story, because really, I mean, who, who would have realized that five hundred dollars were giving this this child you know, not just the ability to go to school to learn, but I mean, to see his mom, see his family for the first time. You don't think about things like that. And, and we get applications all the time where, uh, even if we can't help, we've had some really wonderful, uh, letters from people that we couldn't help. Uh, but the ones we can help, they, they write their thank you notes. It's the only thing we ask them to do. And they end up saying things like, you know, I was, I was going to commit suicide before I found out about modest needs. I mean, you know, in so many words and, and, the people on here changed my view of humanity uh, because really the, the people who give, uh, they do so, so selflessly and, you know, they, they know they're never going to see the people that they're helping. And it, it's just an amazing thing. You don't realize where these people's lives are, where they're coming from until you help them and realize that you, you may have even saved their lives in the process. And it's, it's really, it, it's eye opening to see what people tell you after they've gotten the help that they were afraid to tell you before what their mental state was or, you know, yeah. how, how close they were to, to being on the street, really on the street. Uh, so when you can stop that for five, six, seven hundred dollars at a time and you can break that up into 20 or 30 dollar increments, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? That's that's our philosophy. Can I ask on your on your site, on your page, is it can you go and set up a recurring donation that just you sure recurs. can. You sure can. You can do it. Uh, you just go to our, you know, make a donation link, 
there's an option that says give monthly and you can just set it up right there. It takes two seconds. Same as making a regular contribution. That's, that's great to know. I think, you know, I, I, I don't know we weren't planning on doing this, but I, the, the, the stories that you're sharing are just, I mean, they're just incredible. They're just incredible. Um, and I think, you know, for, for our side, um, you know, we're going to make sure that cognitive dissonance sets up a recurring donation. Oh, thank um, you very much. You know, starting immediately. And well, as long as, as long as our show is in existence, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we send funds to modest needs. Well, thank, thank well, and, you. And now Tom's made it us look like dicks if we don't. So I guess we, <laughs> we also, out of the kindness of our heart, are going to do the same. <laughs> That's a, we have to uh, vote on everything in our show, so I, I want you to cut this whole thing. What's he studying in college? I have questions. Fuck you, boy. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I do want to ask because we, you know we've talked a lot about how our listeners can go to Modest Needs to help, but I know that some of them also need help. I mean, I've got some friends who have been, you know, settling for store bought chicken wings for a really long time now. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, so exactly. So, what, what's the process like for them? I mean, you know, obviously, you want to vet them, you want to make sure that. Uh, people aren't taking advantage of the system, but I, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that it's really onerous or that you know that uh, you know that well, they'd be scared off of asking for help. It's it's really not. I mean, if, if you go to our website, there's a big orange button at the top right uh, top right section of the page that says you know apply for help, and if you click that, our system will basically walk you through the application process. But really, uh, it's a matter of creating an account with us. And then filling out some some a questionnaire, a really simple questionnaire, takes uh, on average 15 minutes to complete the application, and then another you know five or 10 minutes to scan and upload the documentation that we need. Unless there's a really major problem, that should be about all. Uh, we're talking about 20, 25 minutes to do the whole thing. Uh, and then, of course, we're always able to help if if people can't complete it on their own, they need some help. We'll be glad to help them. I would just really, once again, like to say uh, to, to all of you and, and, of course, to your listeners, I mean, you, you really – I'm going to tell you it's, it's amazing how things happen at Modest Needs. We had had a miserable summer. Okay, let me just tell you, at the, in the nonprofit world, the summer is the worst time of the year because everybody's on vacation and nobody's thinking about you know what they're going to be doing for other people. And we had had a really hard summer. And when you guys came in, uh, you did for us what we do for our applicants, okay? You were really – you came at exactly the right time, and you did more than we could ever have asked you to do. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you did. All we did was write dick jokes. Everybody else donated the money. <laughs> right, so right. right. <laughs> we just, uh, we, we, but, but, we're, but we're happy to help and happy to, uh, happy to drive charity towards you guys. You guys are doing amazing work. If people wanted to sign up right now, uh, donate monthly or just donate one time, where would they go? Oh, just go to modestneeds.org and click make a donation. Couldn't be any easier. Keith, it's been a blast having you on. Thank you so much for all the work you do. You do oh, amazing work. It's really thank a privilege. You, thank you so much for having me, guys, and, and best of luck to all, all of you for all that you do. Have a wonderful day. So we want to thank Keith from Modest Needs for joining us today, as well as Eli and Noah from The Scathing Atheist for joining us and talking about uh, that organization. It was really great to have him on. It was incredible. Just, it's it, incredible. What Humbling. An, what an incredible guy. Just, I know. I mean, the amount of work that he puts in uh, to every Scathing Atheist podcast is just amazing. <laughs> and then Keith was a really nice guy, too. Never so, say nice yeah. things about Eli. It's not. I know he said some very kind things about us, but we will never Noah. return. Oh. I was about that. I wasn't talking about, I was talking about Eli. 
Um, no, but Keith was really a, just an amazing dude and uh, and really uh, really a humbling dude to to be around yeah. and just to, to talk to. We had a, a wonderful conversation with him and and uh, and we are going to start uh, donating on a monthly basis and hopefully next year uh, the scathing atheist crew and and, and uh, our crew can get together to do another fundraiser. Maybe we can make it bigger and bigger, better next year. And involve, I, I think we already had conversations about expanding, you know, the, our, our efforts. Modest Needs just really strikes me. It yeah. just really, really strikes me as, as an amazing organization. I'm so proud yeah. to have uh, been a part of a fundraiser that's done so much good. Next week, it's our great hope. We'll see what happens. It's our great hope to have a podcast for you from QED. So uh, now I'm recording this ahead of time, so I don't know, but they had told us that a high-quality recording of our show on QED, at QED will be available, so we will have a, uh, a audio version. We'll also hopefully have a video version that maybe we're loading up for patrons. Uh, we're not sure exactly how that's going to work, but we're hoping we're going to have it by the time we leave so we can post it for you and you'll have a show. Now, the show may be a little short because we only have a 50-minute slot, but you will still have a show uh, next Monday, and it will be uh, hopefully... From QED. I give that warning all the time. It's a little smaller than you'd like, Small but, ladies. you know, this is but, hey. it's what I've got to work with. So if you're interested in becoming a uh, sponsor of someone on Modest Needs, you can go to modestneeds.org, uh, or you can do a recurring sponsorship, like we had found out earlier. Uh, they are always looking for some help. And uh, check out the Scathing Atheist and God Awful Movies. Uh, you can do Google searches for those, but, uh, but scathingatheist.com will take you to, uh, to their flagship show. And that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, we are still in England right now, and uh, we yeah. will be back in a couple weeks. But we're going to have a show for you next week, a canned show with Ishmael for next week. So, uh, so look forward to that, and we'll leave you, like we always do, with the Skeptic's Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy healing, water downward spiral, brain dead pan sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death in towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques, and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and information provided on this podcast are intended for entertainment purposes only. All opinions are solely that of Glory Hole Studios, LLC. Cognitive dissonance makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, currentness, suitability, or validity of any information and will not be liable for any errors, damages, or butthurt arising from consumption. All information is provided on an as-is basis. No refunds. Produced in association with the local Dairy Council and viewers like you.